Welcome into the NBA University podcast. My name is Steven, and today we have a very special guest on our hands. He is the head national NBA writer for the Washington Post, the author of Bubble Ball, and the co-host of the GOAT podcast with Andrew Sharp. We have Ben Golliver. What's going on, man? Not too much, Steven. You know, you and I had talked about doing a podcast for weeks, maybe months, and sometimes a good idea comes together, right? And we were like, maybe we should time it right after Victor plays Scoot, because I know you're one of these basketball diehards tweeting stats all day long. You love looking at the prospects. And just in the back of my mind, I was thinking, if that game turns out to be even like half as good as we're hoping, it is going to be so fun to just hop on with you and just dork out about it. And oh my God, was that not like five times better than anyone could have hoped for. So I cannot wait to uh, to dig into both those guys because uh, to me, they were both 10s out of 10s in terms of my expectations. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure you're probably feeling the same way uh, after watching that game too. Thousand percent. Couldn't be any happier to have you on right after the Victor and Scoot showdown. And to set the scene, Ben was there live last night doing his thing, you know, his influencer stuff, getting some uh, videos <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of of Wembenyama ducking under the, uh, the security check line and uh, getting pictures of him stretching, just looking like an absolute mountain. Uh, and I, I want to just kind of Pass the ball to you, Ben, and let you cook a little bit. Paint me a picture of what last night looked like and, and what were just some of those standout moments from the Victor and Scoot showdown. This is going to sound like complete hyperbole, but when I got home and like I actually like put the finishing touches on my story, which had me up until almost like 2 a.m., like in my mind, I was like, if they just canceled basketball from here going forward, there was the sport <laughs> was never allowed to be played again. I would almost be okay with it, given how great I was feeling, like that being the way to go out, you know? Because, you know, Victor is a guy we've heard about for probably two or three years, like the whispers from the French NBA guys, and then some of the draft guys would go over there. He's definitely someone who was like, I was anticipating this week for weeks in advance and writing mm -hmm. previews, you know, which teams might be interested in him. So the hype was on 11. You know, it was very similar to like Zion or Anthony Davis or any of these other guys from the last 15 years where the buzz is really organic. And if you're a basketball dork, you want to go see this guy, right? At the same time, Scoot has been, you know, making his own waves for a while and I just want to give the NBA credit, like, what a brilliant content idea. They flew this French team 5,400 miles to the <laughs> middle of Nevada to play in an arena called the Dollar Loan Center, which their banners say don'tbebroke.com because that's their website. <laughs> this is where they're having, you know, the number one and number two pick in next year's draft go head-to-head -head. And it, what was so crazy about it is, like, it's this fishbowl experience where it's a 5,500-seat arena that they use for minor league hockey and indoor football. It was half full. And yet you had every single NBA team there. You had more than 200 scouts and executives. Sam Presti, of course, sitting courtside there super early, staking out his seat. And then more than 100 media members. Uh, your favorite basketball dork writer was there, I promise you. Whoever that person is, they had all, like, kind of – you know, mob down this, uh, you know, Nevada desert to watch this game. And, you know, it was just one of those situations where both players lived up to the hype. They both did it their own way. They both really introduced themselves to a wider basketball audience for the first time. And the reason why I think it's so smart for the NBA, 
there are so many high-level international players that have to be introduced to the American audience. When did mm-hmm. we first find out about Giannis? He was the mystery man on draft night, right? Luca, yeah. I think people knew him a little bit better, and, and Ricky Rubio, they knew those guys a little bit better because there was tape and there was a lot of Spanish players in the NBA. But Jokic, a complete unknown. And I think when you're trying to build your league around stars, you need to bridge the gap between those international players and the domestic audience. And having this kind of a showcase is just so perfect because it's just planting the seeds for everybody to just go nuts, um, you know, a couple months down the line or, or on draft night to know exactly who this guy is. And I already saw people buying his jersey, you know. They were they were showing out some Euros to buy the wow. Victor Metropolitan's 92 jersey and, and have it shipped over from Europe. So to me, that's really cool, and, and that was the fun part. But we can dig into the basketball stuff as, as deep as you want because there was a lot there. Absolutely. What you say is instructive about – how the NBA is finally recognizing the need to showcase their international stars. I mean, if you look at um, most of the MVP, uh, well, first of all, who's won MVP, Giannis and Jokic, and then now all of the MVP odds, we have Luka in there. I mean, all of these guys are foreign-born players. And instead of getting grainy, you know, iPod touch uh, recordings of, of Giannis like maybe playing basketball within the last five years, uh, we've, we've turned into – flying a French team out and, and playing primetime basketball against another top tier prospect. And it's just a, a completely different product. And this is going to just start a cycle of a year long of just absolute salivation over this guy. I mean, putting up just <laughs> the stupidest numbers, looking like a fake person out there, absolute Gumby. Uh, I saw, I saw a thing today that said he, his shot release on his jumper from three was 11 and a half feet in the air. So just to even get a contest on this thing, you need to get a foot and a half above the rim, which is just, yeah. that's a laughable thing. Did it look that way in person? Well, I'm glad you want to start there because when I'm scouting prospects, it's always about anatomy first. We can get to what can they do skill-wise. We can get to how does that translate to advanced numbers in terms of how they're going to be scheme fits and and what's this guy, you know, really excel out versus what are some weaknesses. But it always starts with the body. He has the longest fingers and the longest toes of any human <laughs> being I've ever seen in my life. Again, it's not hyperbole. It's just he is just built different. You know, that phrase gets really overused, but he is that way. Um, they, they were stretching him out, and just the length from his hips to his feet, it seems like it's long enough for a full person, you know? And it's just crazy. So – you're starting there, and you're like, wow, okay, this guy's different. You know, During the layup warm-up lines, he threw down a windmill dunk where his toes were basically scraping the hardwood. Like, he wasn't really jumping. He was just kind of doing this soft windmill dunk in the layup line. And I just audibly gasped, like, oh, my God. Like, I couldn't even control myself. I was just standing there on the baseline videotaping it. And, you know, it was just, like, situation after situation after situation like that. Um, where whatever your normal charts are, they're just off. Like, for example, he was uh, warming up barefoot, and so his sneakers were just, like, sitting there by a chair. So, of course, I'm just being as thirsty as possible. I'm like, I have to go <laughs> over here and take pictures of these shoes next to my shoes. I mean, his, his shoes are almost twice as long as my size 13 sneakers. I asked their team, uh, you know, staff for, like, what shoe size does he wear? And I, I kind of guessed 20, but, you know, they're uh, – 
they, they use European sizes, obviously, because they're in France. They looked at me like I was absolutely nuts. They're like, no, bro, <laughs> he wears a 55, right? So 55 <laughs> You're in way Euro, off. Yeah, 55 in Euro translates to 20.5 in American. Nike doesn't even sell those sneakers on their websites. They're not available above size 18. And their entire company chart, I looked this up, only goes up to 22. So this guy's feet are almost off Nike's chart. And Nike's been making shoes for every athlete for decades and decades, right? So the anatomy stuff was wild. The wingspan, I put this in my story on the Washington Post. He can be out of position and still in the play. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. have to necessarily rotate across the paint like most centers to contest shots at the rim. He can just stretch his arm out. And it's different from, I mean, the only person to, to me who's close is actually Gobert because Gobert has got a really long wingspan and he knows how to use his arms. So he's really good at kind of, uh, you know, the, the recovery blocks or just the general rim protection, especially when he was younger. I think he's lost a little bit of his pop, uh, you know, as he's gotten kind of mm-hmm. a little bit older. But um, you know, a lot of his block shots, he doesn't even jump. He just kind of like fly swats them out of here with his wingspan. So, um, you know, the anatomy, in some ways, it's like he's the craziest basketball prospect from an anatomy standpoint ever. Like, I don't, I don't know who would be weirder. I mean, I was fascinated with Chet last year, but it's like stretch Chet out, make him stronger, make him more athletic, make him taller, make him a better shooter, make him a better dribbler and make him a little bit more cocky, uh, or, you know, at least confident, however you want to put it, and that's Victor. So it's like, you know, this, this guy is one of one. There, there's kind of no way around it. Um, not to say he's a perfect prospect. Like, he definitely has his flaws as well, and his coach is pretty honest about that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was refreshing because it really seems like the Metros have a concerted plan to kind of work on some of his um, deficiencies this season, which sometimes you don't get, right? With 18-year-old guys, they just turn them loose and say, go do whatever the heck you want. Uh, but just from a strictly anatomy standpoint, it's ridiculous. How many guys could block a shot? I mean, it might be Chet, it might be Mobley, and you know maybe Anthony Davis if you give him like four Red Bulls before the game. Like, <laughs> who else is going to be able to block a shot? Nobody. Yeah, the anatomy is. It's just next level body stuff that you can't even conceptualize in your mind. Uh, Producer Steven and I were looking at that picture you posted of him stretching out. And he mentioned that that big toe was just staring him right in the face. You know, I've never seen a toe so long in my life. And as weird as that is, it's just it's indicative of the rest of how his body is built. It's just an outrageous body and the fact that he's even able to move in like a semi-average way would be a miracle but he moves in an above average way uh the his functional athleticism is ridiculous let me ask you this he doesn't feel like he's a guy who's growing into his body right or like he had a growth spurt and it like is disorienting and now he's like trying to reclaim how he moves i mean there's a lot of young big guys who hit seven feet and then they start walking around like baby giraffes and it's like they're trying to figure out I mean, this guy moves like he's been 7'4 his entire life, and I'm sure he hasn't, but he's so comfortable and fluid with how he moves. I mean, some of the escape dribble stuff on the three-pointers where he's doing the little tap dance with his feet, I mean, there's like 15 NBA guys who could do those. I mean, it's like Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. Like, it's like the best of the best in terms of technique, and he's clearly just been working on this stuff for years. And he actually said that in his post-game press conference. He's like, I've been dribbling and, uh, you know, ball handling and shooting from the perimeter mm-hmm. since I was nine years old, you know? So it, it's, um, that, that's the even more unique part about it because it is functional, like you were saying. 
Yeah, you don't see someone that big with the ability to accelerate and decelerate the way he does. We talk about this deceleration with guys like Luca and Harden who create space by by slowing themselves down and, and stopping on a dime, but we've never seen anybody this big be able to do stuff like that. And then like you say, he has the he has the footwork and he has the shooting. It's just it's ridiculous. And you mentioned something you mentioned is the mentality. Hilarious quote from him that I saw leading up to this game. They asked him about Scoot Henderson and what his thoughts are were uh, were on him. And I'm paraphrasing. He essentially said, man, Scoot, he's a great prospect. If I had never been born, he probably would get picked number one. <laughs> and <laughs> that, that kind of mentality is the, is the kind of thing that can take a guy who, who might not be as physical and allow him to to rise above those, those, you know, skinniness issues that he might have built in for the first few years of his career. Um, and I'm excited about that, but I'm also excited about scoop, man. Uh, speaking of well, intangibles, hey, he was out there flexing. What's up? Oh yeah. No, real quick, before you move on to scoot, just two points that I have to follow up on. Um, Hit him. so number one, you're talking about his step backs and like change of, uh, you know, pace and deceleration and all that. One, you know, amazing development from guys like Harden and Lillard was their ability to stretch out those sidestep dribbles or those back dribbles mm. to create all that extra space for themselves. And they go to it in the highest leverage moments, right? It's like fourth quarter crunch time. We need a shot. I trust this move because I, I know I can create space even against longer defenders, guys who are expecting shots to come. Well, what happens if Victor can do the same shot without actually overstretching himself like these guards and yet create even more space and have a higher shot release than these guys, right? It's, it's basically unblockable. It's very, very difficult to defend. And I think we're going to see in the NBA, teams are going to throw two guys on him 30 feet from the hoop, you know? Like, he's going to be dribbling the ball, and he's going to start getting annoyed because people are throwing hard doubles at him to get the ball out of his hand. And he's 7'4", right? It's just absolutely crazy. Um, second point on the mentality so I think the way the quote came across online was arrogant. You know, it's just like, well, if I wasn't born, this other guy would be great. I don't think that's not how I heard it when I listened to it. I heard it as very matter of fact. I think this guy has just been so different. And uh, both his parents are athletes. He was raised, you know, obviously he was going to be an athlete. He's been a pro since he's 15 years old, right? That's when he played his first pro game. He's been around Tony Parker uh, with the team in France. Like he's been around a lot of high level professional guys. And I think that he just knows he's different, right? He just under, like he's, he's already over it. Like it's not some like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm trying to wrap my mind around what my future is going to be. Like he's talking about the NBA as his destiny. He's going to be the number one pick. Like he's got his, his life mapped out in a very professional way. I mean, even look at his decision to leave Tony Parker's team to go to Paris. It's like, he's kind of preparing himself for the bigger stage to have a little bit, um, you know, more attention and, and to be in a bigger city. So um, that's the mentality part. That's really interesting because this is not like a babe in the woods, right? It's not like, Oh, we unearthed this guy randomly in France. And like, here he is. Like he's a, uh, you know, he's a pro and he shows it. He acts like it. I mean, he talks in the media, like he's a pro and he's fluent in English. And I do think that's going to be a huge factor for him in terms of his marketability and his reach with fans, he's going to be able to communicate from day one, no problem. He already does. And, uh, you know, he can make jokes, he quips, um, he knows the colloquial phrases and everything else. And so this guy is very ready to be an NBA player. All right, that's all I got. Uh, that's enough on Victor. Let's talk Scoot. <laughs> yeah, Scoot Henderson, man, he 
was impressive as well. He was living up to the billing. I played a professional season at 17 last year, which is just unreal to even think about. I know really cool, uh, Vic, too. Yeah, cool. it, like, for real. Who wants to go play pro basketball when you're a 17-year-old high school kid? He could be yeah, prom king, me. right? <laughs> yeah, he should be he should be dancing right now and, and being nervous about asking girls out to prom, not, not playing professional basketball. Meanwhile, <laughs> he was making pro money. His parents and him open and run this gym now where he has his own personal gym where he's working out. Uh, and he came out there and showed out, man. He looked physically gifted to a degree that we haven't really seen a guard in a while because he has this this mixture of sort of like the jaw burst and then the Anthony Edwards like mm. build um, and it is a it is a scary sight to see and the shooting was really what kind of spoke to my heart because you know those prototype guards like it's just kind of you have those Rose and those Westbrook and those jaws and those guys always seem to come with these built-in like shooting issues and I know Scoot wasn't an elite shooter, but he definitely projects as a big time mid range shooter. And then even in this game, he was coming out knocking down these step backs in Wembenyama's eyeball. Like that was beautiful to see. He has a whole nother year to hone his craft before he's in the NBA. What did you take away from this game watching Scoot live? Well, I love your, I love your scouting eye because I did, I did feel like it's kind of a love child situation between Anthony Edwards and John Moran. You know, with Ant-Man, it's the physicality on the ball. It's the kind of just ingrained cockiness. You know, I, I wouldn't even mm -hmm. call it confidence. I would call it cockiness and the ability <laughs> to emote on the court in a way that sort of lifts up all of your teammates and gets people excited. And then with Ja, um, it was a little bit of the orchestration, the understanding of, okay, when is the right time to shoot? When's the right time to pass? I mean, you're talking about a lot of those physically gifted guards who can't shoot. Well, they can't shoot because when they're in high school, they can just get to the rim on every single play, and it's fun to do 360 layups and, and have everybody love you, right? And those guards often need to learn in the NBA, how do you make a drive and kick pass? How do you find that right corner shooter? How do you look off one shooter to get the ball to the other one? How do you pass early so they can make the hockey assist, right? And to me, Scoot was really advanced on that stuff. Like, it was just sort of an intuitive thing, and I always thought, you know, Ja doesn't get enough credit for how well he orchestrates in the half court because he's able to get by everybody whenever he wants. Um, he has a lot of options in terms of where he makes his passes, and he makes pretty darn good decisions a, a lot in the half court, and I think Scoot's kind of trending that direction as well. Uh, the variety of shots and where he was hitting them from was impressive. In between game, um, the reverse layup where he is using the rim to actually kind of mm -hmm. get one by Victor. The fact that he tried to dunk on him, man, that, you know, look, it didn't go well. And, and this kind of goes back to remember when Brandon Knight tried to take a charge on DeAndre Jordan <laughs> and everybody made the coffin jokes and like Woj had to come out with a story that was like, hey, he's playing basketball the right way. Don't make fun of this guy. Like he's a point guard trying to block a center. Like, of course, he's not going to get the block. I actually agreed with Woj on that one 100%. It's like, you know, it's an easy joke. It's an easy punchline. Everybody likes it. But you want your point guard trying to step up and take that charge if he possibly can. Same thing flipped around. Like, look, that guy's 7'4 with an 8-foot wingspan. He's spiking shots so hard, you know, towards his bench that his teammates are just cracking up on the bench during the <laughs> game. Like, one of his teammates, 28-year-old guy, I looked it up, 28-year-old guy just starts laughing because he blocked a shot all the way from the paint, uh, you know, onto the Metro's bench, right? Um, Scoot wanting to smoke, as they say. Going up the chimney, as they say. Mm. And unfortunately, the chimney, you know, it was a little clog for him. You know, he, he didn't make it out the top. But the fact that he wanted to challenge him, I just think is awesome. And he came, you know, he was ready to deliver. 
And the fascinating thing about Scoot's personality is that he is very polished himself. You know, constantly everybody's throwing these questions at him. Well, did you hear what Victor said about you? If he wasn't born, you could be the number one pick and all this stuff. He didn't want to take the bait at all. He said that he had read this book called The Four Agreements, where I guess one of the principles is never take anything personally. And so he was like, look, I try not to take anything personally. All I care about is winning. I mean, look, even if he was coached to say that, even if someone like kind of helped him, like, you know, come to that conclusion in terms of a way to handle the situation, because the spotlight is really bright right now. Um, and it's going to be the brightest, you know, this week of, you know, Scoot's entire pre-NBA career, right? I think it was a great message from him. He came out looking really, really mature. And I think if you're one of these executives who are like, can we trust our team with this guy as the point guard? It's an automatic yes. You're like, you came away, you saw everything you needed to see. If you get the number two pick, you're going to be taking this guy. Or at least you're going to be thinking long and hard about it, you know, unless you have like some great lead guard that you're already uh, kind of committed to. But you know, he was uh, he was the total package on and off the court as well. He is the perfect thread the needle prospect where he is the best of both worlds in so many ways where he has this this mass and this power to be able to overpower people but then he also has this just explosion and quickness uh and and just secondary burst in the open floor uh and then he has great this, handle great yeah handle beautiful like, handle yeah. exactly he has that uh, that puppet master type of thing that you're talking about where, you know, he knows how to manipulate the screen and he knows how to look guys off and hit these beautiful little pocket passes. Uh, but then he also knows how to just take the ball off a rebound and go coast to coast and dunk on somebody's head. Uh, and he's one of these guys that it's so rare to find someone who can sort of touch all of these areas of the game and and be that overwhelming athletically be that overwhelming as a personality uh, but still be able to hone it in and, and maintain this cognitive load uh, he has this mental bandwidth where he's able to know where all of his teammates are and make them better uh, and improve his game and their game at the same time and it's just a beautiful thing to watch happen uh, it's something that's so rare from someone so young uh, and, and we rarely see these athletic freaks that are also absolutely polished. And I think that's what stands out about both of these guys, where they are ready-made, wrapped up with a beautiful bow, ready to go. But then they're also these specimens in a way that is just mind-blowing, particularly Victor. But Scoot as well. I mean, he's going to enter the league and immediately be one of the most athletic guards in the game, point blank. So He could be in the NBA right now. I mean, I came away from that game saying he could play minutes, you know, pretty big minutes in the NBA, like right now, which is weird because he's already one of these guys. It feels like he skipped a couple grades, you know, because he's gone this pro route at such a young age. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like wanting to say like, you know what, let's just test out a senior year. Just go straight to college, you know, like, just get out of here. Like you're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're good. You're ready to go. So um, I can't wait to see where he lands. So here's the interesting thing. I wanted to throw this at you because I know you, uh, you're an Orlando magic guy, right? So this you, is true. So you pour, you probably spent a lot of time pouring over, you know, draft boards, and you probably got your own big board. I wouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> Where do you want to see these guys land? Do you have a favorite team? Because there's a pretty big tanking field, right? I mean, and mm -hmm. to some degree, you've got San Antonio, Houston, Oklahoma City, uh, Utah, and then you've got Orlando, Detroit, Indiana, and maybe Charlotte, maybe Portland, maybe Washington if injuries kind of pop in, right? Mm -hmm. Um you know, R.C. Buford's at that game. I mean, name an executive. They're all at this game, right? Do you have, from those teams, do you have a favorite spot for Victor and for Scoot? Like, where can they turn around? Who can they help? Or do you just want them both on the Magic? 
<laughs> the answer is certainly both on the magic and a perfect world, but alas, that is fairly unlikely to happen. The uh, Bulls pick is top four protected, even though uh, it, it could yield some wonderful dividends. I don't think it'll uh, ever be able to get in the top two, but that's a great question. There are some some warring things in my mind of basketball fit versus location and right. how much exposure they're going to get because I love the idea of seeing Scoot in like a uh, in Indiana next to Halliburton where it's just this yin and yang from the from the guard position both incredible playmakers but kind of do it in a different way Scoot's a little more on ball and Halliburton is this like ultimate ball mover and, and shot maker uh, that would be unbelievable as a basketball fit uh, but also it's like do I want to see Scoot in Indiana as a small market <laughs> fan? You know, I can I can get behind it, but there is a certain charm to seeing these guys in in these larger markets uh, in a Houston even, which is like more medium level. Uh, he would get a crazy amount of exposure next to Jalen Green. Victor in in Houston would be absolutely ridiculous because they have all these offensive players and they just don't have that anchor defensively. And just throwing Victor onto that team, it would turn them into it would turn them from a team that's you know mildly exciting and a few years away to a team that would be scary right away like a Memphis type situation where Jalen Green is starting to capitalize on some of this freak athleticism and shot making that he has and then Victor is you know doing his thing uh even KPJ in that situation might be able to to rise above and become someone who's somewhat of a valid starter in the NBA slow down Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there because I can tell you're really (laughs) excited um Victor is amazing. He has a chance to be an all-timer. Not even Victor can save KPJ. All right? He's <laughs> unsalvageable. I'm sorry. I'm going on the record. I'm saying it right now. This is not a knock on Victor. This is uh, more of a, a situational context down there in Houston. Um, God, I mean, can you imagine the defensive versatility and length of him and Jabari? That's pretty wild. Oh, man. That's pretty goodness. freaky. Yeah. I think my favorite Victor destination is Space Jam 3. That's Oklahoma City. If you have mm. Chet, Victor, Giddy, Shea, and Dort, that is such a squad. I mean, <laughs> that's like, hilarious lineup. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a two, like the all-time two K lineup, right? Um, and just you know, so many different ways you could go with that. You know, big. You know, you just go super jumbo. You could kind of, uh, you know, have three shooters and and play the two bigs together. I mean, mm-hmm. just so many different options. So that's my favorite, I think, for Victor. You know, I do feel a lot of pity for what Spurs fans are about to go through this year. And, you know, the whole idea of, like, Duncan saved him, then Victor saved him, that's pretty juicy from a narrative standpoint, so I could kind of get behind that. And I did have some people tell me last night they feel like Victor's got the Spursy cred, you know, like he's, like, Mm. made to be a Spur. So that's probably just wishful thinking on their part. But they feel like from his makeup standpoint, um, you know, that's kind of what he's about. With Scoot, man, it is really tough. You know, him and Jalen Green, God, what a what a dynamic backcourt combo that would be. I mean, maybe just give them to Utah so that they have something to watch. You know, something, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they could just move out all those vets and just turn it over to him. Um, I'm not sure I've settled on my favorite Scoot destination yet, but, uh, you know, stay tuned, I guess. I have my ultimate victor destination, and it would take – a calamity of errors, but it's not something that I would put past the Los Angeles Lakers to <laughs> to lose enough while they don't have their pick and have it translate over to the New Orleans Pelicans because we would have this Zion Victor 
four five combination the ultimate inverses of one another we have <laughs> the unstoppable force versus the immo- immovable object on the same team we have the football defensive end uh, versus <laughs> whatever the heck victor is out yeah, there and that would the, just be the perfect matchup you got the defensive end and the goalpost on the same team. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> that is my dream but that is enough scoot and when talk for now we're gonna transition into a nice little podcast gimmick that i got ready for ben uh i figured since i'm having such a special guest on i gotta do something uh in the gimmick uh you know something that andrew sharp would do which is called uh playing plant your flag uh, we are we are gonna have Ben plant his flag one way or the no- one way or the other, no middle ground, uh, and he's gonna have a strong take, and then I'm gonna do my best to play devil's advocate unless his argument is just too tough to overcome. First, we're gonna start with a contender or cute story. Plant your flag. This is straight from the Ben Golliver vernacular, the cute mm. story phrase. He loves to get fans riled up by calling their team a cute story, uh, just like those 2015-16 Hawks teams and all those Toronto Raptors teams. You know, you have those termites come in and into your mentions and tell you how stupid you are just for you to be proved (laughs) right over and over again. So I wanted to get your take on a couple teams that are, in my opinion, sort of teetering on this ledge of contender or cute story uh, and see what your take is on that. We're going to start with the Minnesota Timberwolves. We got Rudy Gobert coming in. We got Cat and Ant possibly taking a leap. Jaden McDaniels, D'Angelo. What are your thoughts? Cute story or contender? Well, first of all, let me just quickly say when I was writing my book, I had a throwaway reference to a team that was like a cute story. I forget which team it was. And my editor like called it out and noted it. And we were like (laughs) discussing that on the call. And he's like, what's up with this phrase? And I was like trying to explain to him the backstory, which he just laid out. He's like, that is really, really disrespectful. Don't fans (laughs) like hate it when you use that? And I was like, as a matter of fact, like I didn't ever think it was as negative as some people like took it because part of the idea of the cute story is that it's a fun ride during the regular yeah, season. Yeah, at least right? they're cute. Right. Yeah, yeah it's they're... better than being an ugly story. Absolutely. And um, but he was like, no, no. I mean, this is like one of the meanest things you could say about a team. So I always thought that that was a very refreshing perspective from a guy who's like not a huge basketball fan. Um, Minnesota, I got to go cute story. Uh, I just don't really see the the contender bona fides. I like Ant, don't love Ant. The advanced mm. numbers are even lower than I am on Anthony Edwards. Doesn't mean he can't make a big jump. I mean, that typically does happen as these guys, you know, future stars are going from year one to year two or year two to year three. I mean, you're usually seeing like big time shifts and stuff like real plus minus and impact and efficiency and all that kind of stuff in terms of their scoring. But um, I think he's going to have his hands full trying to fit with these big guys. And, and mostly it comes down to playoff matchups. Cat doesn't have a playoff position. Big problem, right? Um, and, you know, to me, he's not really a multi-positional defender in the playoff setting where, like, you can just, like, constantly throw him on the other team's mm-hmm. best player or, like, in big moments, he can go out there and, and just kind of, like, be a lockdown guy. When your best players aren't capable of, like, elite defense and they're also not just, like, complete freaks offensively, why do I think you're going to be able to contend for anything? And I like Gobert as well. I got spooked by Eurobasket, man. Like, he Hmm. just completely disappeared in the gold medal game. I mean, France was, like, on the brink of winning their first gold medal ever. They're favored over Spain, who are led by the Hernan Gomez brothers. Not the Gasol brothers. (laughs) The Hernan Gomez brothers 
and Gobert was like a complete no-show in the in the final game. And it's all the same complaints that people have had about him forever. Is like no bag, can't shoot, doesn't draw the defense, gets stuck in tight quarters. You know, his versatility on defense isn't as helpful in big moments as it is during the regular season. And I think the, all those things are true. I could see them winning a playoff series, which would be the first time in a long time for them. So I would qualify that as a win, but that's a cute story team. If you're super excited about winning a first round series, you're not a contender. I absolutely respect that. The the no bag Gobert is going to be a situation in the playoffs. It's almost like the French government saw Gobert's career just unfolding and they're like, We gotta do something different with Victor. I mean, <laughs> we gotta we can't let this happen again. <laughs> they gave him the ultimate bag. But yeah, that is a concern. I hear what you're saying, but they were already last season seventh in offense and 13th in defense. That defense is going to absolutely skyrocket with Gobert stepping in there. He's not ever part of a team that's lower than seventh in defense uh, with him as the starting center. That's going to be rock solid. We know some of the playoff concerns, uh, but he does also have Jaden McDaniels next to him, who is somebody that I'm just predicting for a breakout season alongside Anthony Edwards, which I know predicting multiple breakouts uh, to consider a team a contender might just mean they're a cute story uh, but I don't think it's it's far-fetched that this team goes out and is in contention for the one or two seed and that they uh, definitely are giving teams run for their money but there is a little bit of a fear in my mind that D'Angelo Russell in a playoff setting Cat in a playoff setting I'm not sure how much I could trust it even though D'Angelo Russell has not had a vertical spacer like Gobert since Jared Allen and that is something that he predicates his entire game on. He is a great lob thrower. He generates a lot of offense by using the gravity that this vertical rollers make. And I think he's going to be much more efficient this season and actually look a lot better in a playoff setting. That being said, uh, careful, I'm not going to be able to play See, <laughs> too much that, devil's advocate. That's what I love with you, Steven. I could take your takes about all the way to like the five yard line. And then you just lose me like right at the end. Like, <laughs> like Russell, I mean, kind of no matter who he's surrounded with isn't he just gonna jack up annoying 14 foot jumpers when it matters miss them and then get himself yanked like isn't that pre- like i feel like that's who he is like I, I just don't think he's like really like had that self-awareness awakening of like here's how i should be playing here is how good i actually am and here's how many teammates around me are better than me who i should be trying mm-hmm. to set up and i do think you're going to see a pretty good two-man game with him and go bear because it sounds like finch has just been like screaming that in training camp like Guys, like Rudy will get moody if you do not force feed him the ball. Please keep him involved at all times. And nobody else is going to pass on that team, so it's got to be Russell. I just, uh, I just can't see the chemistry working when it when it's tight, you know. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, I, it won't be as ugly as they're as they're kind of falling apart in last year's playoffs. I, I don't really think that's going to be like that. I just think it's you know they're going against Golden State. They just got so many things you can kind of pick at, right? Or you're going out with a team like Phoenix, assuming that they they don't try to tank for Wembenyama. It was funny, Chris Paul and uh, you know Devin Booker courtside. Do they have their first round pick, you know, for for the Wembenyama game? Because I felt like maybe they were scouting DeAndre Ayton's replacement. You know, <laughs> take a year off or something. But uh, anyway, back to Minnesota. I, yeah, I just uh, very few trustworthy players on that team when it really matters. You know, it's like the old trenches thing. Who are we going to war with? I'll, t- I'll go to war mm. with Ant Man. Um, you know, there could be some grenades being, you know, pins being pulled when they shouldn't be uh, in that scenario. But rest of those guys, it's like, I don't know. I don't know if they're a foxhole team to me. That is very fair. I am not going to die on D'Angelo Russell Hill. I will choose another hill to die on. Uh, going on to our next contender, a cute story. 
a team that you have just loved and uplifted for the last so many years, the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, coming in, they bring in P.J. Tucker and D'Anthony Melton, Harden in year two, you know, he's not hammy Harden anymore, and they're going to just come in, Maxie's going to have uh, this third or third year leap, and Embiid's going to stay healthy for four state playoff rounds, what are your thoughts? Um, well, I thought they were dead in the water when they lost Danny Green, you know, I was, I was like, I wrote a column that was like, Embiid's <laughs> the next Barkley, like he needs to like escape Philadelphia, because I just thought it was kind of the end of the line. I'm with the people, and it's been a lot of people. I think it's been like a chorus saying, great offseason. You know, they picked up a lot of guys that are proven veteran players who have either played you – know, mostly most of them have played with Harden, but they're going to be, you know, comfortable with the Philadelphia – you know, playing with Philadelphia stars, and they're going to be relatively complimentary, not stepping on toes. So I think they're deeper and they're better. Um, but I think that, you know, all the preseason hype about Harden's in great shape and everything else, like, you know – his last playoffs could not have gone worse, and really his last two playoffs. I mean, he had some moments in Brooklyn, but it was ugly last year. It was inexplicable last year in Philadelphia, and I think he just kind of quit when Embiid got hurt. That's not acceptable. You know, that's that's not really how it's supposed to go. And they're going to win a lot of regular season games for sure, uh, but it's just like when they get to against Boston in the playoffs or Milwaukee in the playoffs or Miami in the playoffs – I feel like they're going to quit first, you know, and it's mm. just, it's kind of as simple as that. It's, it's not based on analytics. It's not based on anything more than there's just something a little bit off with these guys. And it has been for four or five playoffs in a row. I, I part of it is I don't trust doc to make the right X and O's mm. adjustments in those kinds of series. Like they're going into a lot of those matchups with the serious coaching disadvantage as well. And I think Embiid's a better regular season player than he is a postseason player, in part because of his – he's got some defensive versatility, but not enough. And I think it's really hard to kind of mask that, uh, especially when you're getting into, like, the second-round conference finals level. Uh, you know, they've given up a lot of threes, you know, to Tatum um, in the mm -hmm. bubble series uh, and to some of these other players that they've faced these last couple of years in the playoffs too. So uh, I guess I'm calling them a cute story, but they're not actually that cute. You know, they're kind of grizzled – they're hanging over the uh, precipice as a franchise. It could all blow up if they flame out again. So um, I'm saying actually neither on this one. Not a contender, not a cute story. Yeah, very nervous story uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers. A lot, of, a lot of sphincters getting extra tight this season, especially Doc Rivers, which is someone who I most certainly do not trust, which is, is maybe the biggest hurdle for me right now. That and... James Harden's just intangible indifference during elimination games that is completely inexplicable, like you say. That being said, you mentioned that this team is also maybe just not quite like a foxhole team, and that's why I think the addition of P.J. Tucker has this multiplicative factor of, of toughness that he's going to provide that he's shown in his last two playoff runs. Like That runs deep, you know? like The P.J. Tucker effect goes beyond just who P.J. Tucker is playing against, what his matchup is. like He is kind of ruining the entire game for the other team. Let me chime in on that. Everybody says the Bucks could have won the title if they had Chris Middleton, you know, because of that Boston series. Could the Bucks have won the title without Chris Middleton but P.J. Tucker? Because Tatum's not going as crazy as he went, um, you know, in kind of that series of momentum-shifting game in Milwaukee. If P.J. Tucker's out there, one way or another – you know, Tatum's efficiency is coming back to earth and the whole series looks different. So that's an under-discussed thing is like, 
uh, Milwaukee really missed him, and I think Miami is going to miss him a lot this year. I could see it would be one of those situations where, like, Philly has so much drama that they can't actually put to use the multiplicative effect of P.J. Tucker. It's like somehow it just gets <laughs> lost in the formula. It zapped. Right, but Miami misses it so badly that it's like it's still proven true. It's like, yep, nope, the P.J. Tucker effect is real. Just look at the heat. They can't guard anybody, and they're out in the first round again. Right. It might just got a, a, it may have gotten nullified by James Harden, but it is still proven true by Miami falling off. I think the Melton addition is, is huge, too. If we think about this team's bench, I mean, it is complete garbage. I mean, like these last few seasons, the best team that Embiid had around him, this is something that Zach Lowe said, the best team he had around him was that Jimmy Butler season. The first three guys off the bench were James Ennis, Mike Scott, and Boban. I mean, that was their six, seven, eight. I can't think of a worse six, seven, and eight. Those guys are, are barely even in the league anymore. Boban, I think, is the only one hanging on. And now we have Melton who comes in. He is he has a six eight wingspan, ninety-eighth percentile in the passing lane defense, ninth in the NBA in corner three point percentage, forty-nine percent. Maxi shot fifty-seven percent from the corner threes last year. So they just have two absolute automatic guys. PJ's known for his corner three point shooting. And then you just have these isolation gods out there. You know, you have the Harden and the Embiid, and they're just gonna do their thing with shooters and defenders and way more physicality around them. I think that's a formula for them to transcend send that that glass ceiling they've kind of been hitting their head against for these last few seasons yep the biggest question you know to me it always comes back to Embiid I mean I agree mm-hmm. with Doc being like probably the first thing that is on your mind but Embiid eventually has to do it he's the only top 10 player who yeah. hasn't made a conference finals um now that jo- uh, not Josh sorry uh, now that Luca's done it so it's time bro like we've been waiting and waiting you know the six different teams in the Eastern Conference have made the conference finals over the last four years and Bede's basically been an MVP caliber player uh, over that entire time period. And he still can't get the two series done. He's been on the doorstep multiple times and still can't get it done. Um, hopefully that's not just like a, an irresolvable character flag, but uh, you know, he's just stuff always happens with him. I mean, the airplane mm. thing straight into the face injury. It's like, if you, if you told me that that would play out before the playoffs, it's like, name one player that this is going to happen to. It's like, oh, Joel Embiid, boom, easy. Like, I would have <laughs> nailed it, you know? Uh, so if that was the Jeopardy question, it would have been, uh, you know, risking it all in the daily double on that one. No doubt. There is the fear of having your two best players being guys that have the highest highs and then the lowest lows. There is a certain lack of of consistency that is a little bit scary when calling the 76ers a contender. Someone who does not lack for consistency at all, is Franz Wagner. Ooh. We're going to move on to a, to another section of Plant Your Flag, and this is going to be the 2021 draft class. Franz Wagner versus Josh Giddy. Who do you want for the rest of their careers and why, Ben Golliver? Man, that's a great question. This is, I, this is where, you know, like bad podcasting is just cop out and just generic praise both guys. I don't know if I can help myself. I love them both. Um, <laughs> like, I think that Franz probably projects as having a higher ceiling just because when you're talking about the playoffs, multi-positional forwards, two-way contributors, guy with real all-star potential, scoring, that is kind of what everybody's looking for. That's like the most valuable commodity. Those are the hardest guys to have. And it's not like Josh Giddies are grown on trees. And he's super young. He has a high ceiling himself. But, um, you know, you could put Franz, like, on the Warriors last year, and, like, he, you know, he's 
contributing to the title. Like he's playing minutes, uh, and certainly if you're aging him up a year, like you know this year's version of Franz, he would help the Celtics, right? Like imagine if the Celtics had gotten Franz instead of Danilo Gallinari, like we'd all have to stop making fun of them for blowing the NBA Finals. Like, mm-hmm. that would be, like, a really scary situation. So I'm going Franz. <laughs> this feels like a setup so that I'll praise your Orlando Magic, but I don't know, man. What do you think? It was 1,000% a setup. I was very much hoping that you, as someone who is giddy for giddy, uh, would, would choose him just so that uh, – you mentioned generic praise so that I can just come in with some generic hatred. Um, on nice. Josh Giddy, you know, Let's drop some it. numbers. Bring so I'm <laughs> I'm gonna bring on a little bit uh, of statistics that are that are concerning to me, okay. and I'll just kind of put them on your plate, see what you think. So, first, he is in the zeroth percentile of three point shot making. Unfortunate, <laughs> according to B Ball Index. First Wait, percentile. Is zeroth the word? Or are you just making these terms up? <laughs> I, you can't I'm make up, up math terms to make fun of this poor guy. All right. <laughs> Yes, we're, we're going to lean into zero with as a term. I'll get back to you on if it truly is first percentile. I know that's a word in points over expectation. Uh, and that's based on like tracking data on how open you are, how many points you should have scored. He was in the first percentile based on that second percentile as the pick and roll ball handler by points per possession, which mm. is pretty crazy based on his you know playmaking ability, which I'm not going to deny. He is a really strong playmaker, super young. You can't you know dog on him too much for, for, for that, especially within the context of the Oklahoma City Thunder, who had the worst spacing in the league. Just... Just an embarrassing team as far as their shooting ability. All they were doing is trying to lose. So I don't pin that one on him too much. But we continue on. He is in the zeroth percentile as a spot-up <laughs> shooter. He is in the zeroth percentile in defensive matchup difficulty last year. So any positive numbers you see around his defensive impact need to be highlighted by the fact he was guarding, you know, baggers from grocery stores and firefighters out there. He was just getting put on the worst possible matchup. The guys with the lowest usage rate imaginable 34th percentile in gravity. I mean, this guy, I love his playmaking. I love the size. I think it's really fun and interesting and he has great hair. There is just a certain part of Giddy that I think we're overlooking. And that is you can't be that negative of an on ball scorer If you're going to be handling that much, it is it is just so detrimental to the rest of the team. He has he has so much to overcome, and that's the thing. Once you get into a playoff setting, when when the screws start tightening up, you're in these end of game, end of shot clock, clutch situations, and you can't, you're not moving anybody by having the ball in your hands, and you're not moving anybody by not having the ball in your hands. Like you become an immediate liability, and that's something that I'm afraid of for his long term future next to Shea, because Gilgis Alexander is going to be the guy who's generating a majority of their offense. And we look at Giddy as this kind of amazing secondary creator and they can kind of tag team that. And I think he's en- going to end up actually being a little bit more of a hindrance than people are, are willing to, to admit right now. And I, I, and I get the youth I do. And I, I like Giddy, but I think it's Franz. No question about it. Um, well, very, very strong, compelling argument. Look, I'm just going to say this saying he's got great hair is as dismissive as saying they're a cute story. <laughs> I mean, that's just incredibly rude when you're ripping a guy apart to just, like, throw that in there. It's like, well, at least he could uh, sell shampoo. It's like, come on, bro. Like, be a little nicer. Uh, no, I'm, I'm teasing you. Um, the Trevor Lawrence effect, you know? So the shooting is a real issue. It seemed a little bit better at Summer League, but it was atrocious as in his rookie year. I think some of the defense matchup stuff is just a Dort effect where, like, 
if you have Dort, you know, and you have some of the other guys they've got on their perimeter, you don't want the 18-year-old guy who is kind of, you know, wild and wacky, uh, you know, handling anything that he doesn't need to, right? It's like, who do you want as your babysitter? The one who's got 10 years of experience or the one who, you know, it just just turned 14, you know, and like, hey, I'm trying to get my first shot, sure. right? I, I think that's part of the deal there on the defense. Um, he was incredibly young. He was put in a really tough situation last year. I think that the numbers, the only one that I would really dispute, like hard, would be the pick and roll um, playmaker stuff. And that's why the Chet injury is such a bummer. You know, I think mm. there was a lot of talk that, you know, Giddy's going to make Chet's life easier because he's such a great setup man. But the reverse is also true, and it might actually be more true. Chet yes. was going to make Giddy's life so much easier, and he was going to make Giddy so much more of an efficient player because of his gravity and because of his ability to finish stuff around the basket. Great hands, lob threat, pick and roll, dive uh, threat, pick and pop threat. So all that stuff was going to really create a lot of room for Giddy for driving lanes, for him to play up tempo, for him to even in the half court – just, you know, get easier stuff. Get fouled every once in a while going to the basket because you have to account for Chet. That's like the saddest part of the Chet injury. I mean, the whole thing is just devastating, but not getting to see what Giddy looks like with Chet is really, really tough. And the only last point I'd make is we don't know Shea's going to be there forever. Um, mm. And so it could be a situation where two years from now, if even if he's – well, actually, if he's still in the zero percentile in two years, he won't get to be the lead ball handler. That's going to be a big issue for him. They call that guy Killian Hayes, and he doesn't get to play at all, <laughs> except when they send him to Summer League, and they make him go out there and keep playing, even though it's like his fourth oh, year. Um, but uh, if Shea's gone, <laughs> it, you know that, that could really change the trajectory of, of Giddy's career and how he's used. Man, poor Killian Hayes just out here catching strays. The easiest guy to make fun of in the league. He he has Killian some pretty strays. good defensive numbers, you know. Okay, Killian that's, strays. That's I a like good that. Name. I like it. Yeah. yeah, we're coining that right now. Uh, and a little bit of just before we sign off, a little generic praise for my guy Franz because I set this up just for me to to spew some stats about my oh, guy. Oh yeah, let's do it. Here's the thing: is people kind of talk about Franz Wagner as though he is this sort of like high level elite role player and like, man, he would fit in so great. What a good cutter. But anytime he scaled his game last season, he did so incredibly efficiently and with big volume. He had 17 different games where he attempted 15 or more field goal attempts last year. In those games, he averaged 23 and a half, five and three on 50% shooting, 39 from three, 82 from the free throw line. He just shot 50% from three on big volume in Eurobasket. Like, this guy is not just this kind of hyper role player, like, ooh, Bruce Brown plus. Like, Swiss this Army guy Army. is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He he is a big time, efficient, potential volume scorer. And, and that's something that I think is lost on a lot of people who didn't watch Franz play last season. Uh, he has these, he has outrageous dunks. He's got step backs he has these step backs where he does his big step back into the corner and mm. takes like a fadeaway which is is pretty unique to him i've never really seen anybody do that but he's super good at it you could tell he's just practicing that all day long is there and, a little uh, bit of jalen jalen brown and you're talking about how people mm. misconceive like you know who he who he is or who he could be jalen brown got the same thing you know it's like he's going to be a mm -hmm. three and d wing like he's always going to be a number two or a number three and i feel like the conversation started to shift for real last year is he actually Boston's best player? Like, who do you want? Right. Him or Tatum? Like, the conversation shifted. Is Wagner – I know they're, like, obviously different body types, but, like, is sure. that kind of what you're getting at in terms of the labels that he's dealing with? 
100%. I think in the same way that Jalen Brown is beginning to transcend his archetype that people are trying to fit him in, I think Franz Wagner can very well do the same thing and be a big-time play finisher. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch in Orlando. Buy your Franz Wagner stock while it is still low. And Ben, thank you so much for coming on, man. I mean, this was an absolute blast. It was absolutely incredible to hear about your your Victor and Scoot live experience, uh, something I'm very jealous of and, and will make sure that uh, the next time I have the opportunity to see two generational prospects play at the same time, I actually go. Might never happen again, so we'll see how that happens, but well, Ben, happened, thank you so much. Next year's Summer League, bro. I mean, I, I don't want to hype it up too much. Boom. Would this be like the greatest Summer League of all time if those guys actually play, man? I hope they do oh, what Paolo yeah. did and showed up and play a little bit. I know he ducked Chet, though. That was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> Got to rub that in the Magic fans' face a little bit. Paolo running scared to the streets mm-hmm. of Las Vegas right down the strip trying to get away from Chet. Uh, I'm playing. I'm playing. Anyway, thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. Uh, what you're doing uh, you know, with, with the podcast and, and on Twitter constantly, like I don't know when you're sleeping. It's, it's great to see, and I wish you all the best with the show. Um, and uh, like I said, uh, let me get an honorary degree from MBA University, please. Absolutely. You've been grandfathered in. You are now a professor at MBA University. Ben, do you have anything to plug before we let you go? Careful. We'll be here all night. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I wrote a book, Bubble Ball. People can find that on Amazon or, or anywhere else books are sold. I do my own podcast twice a week, greatestofalltalk.com, and we have a lot of fun on there. We'll be breaking down the Victor Scoot stuff for sure this week. I can't wait to do that. And, of course, it's washingtonpost.com sports. If people didn't read the full Victor story and they want a little bit more of like, what was it like to be in this guy's orbit? Um, I wrote it. I wrote it today. It was called like Victor Wembanyama basketball's next big thing knows no bounds. So go ahead and Google that and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it. No doubt. Check out those things from Ben. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Instagram. If you want some great national park uh, content and some basketball content. And thank you to the listeners. Thank you guys for joining in. We love you guys. This is episode number three. We're still early. We're still kind of grinding to get this thing off the ground. And we are so excited to have you here. If you love what you heard, if you hate what you heard, if you were indifferent towards what you heard, leave a five-star review. It does not matter how you feel about it. Uh, leave that review. Tell your friends. Share it on Twitter. Let's get this thing going. Let's build this community. So excited to have you guys uh, following along and bringing you daily content on NBA University on Twitter and weekly podcasts from the NBA University podcast. The season is right around the corner, and we could not be more excited. Thank you again. NBAU out. <laughs> <laughs>